Today on the show, fucking, fucking, fuck, 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 we're talking blood origin. <laughs> Welcome to Wind's Howling, a companion podcast to the Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. My name's Abu. I'm Brett. And Brett, we're back, baby. It's been a minute. It has. It's been a while since you and I have been on mic together talking Witcher. I'm excited. Yeah, I forgot to look at when the actual last time we recorded was or what it would have been. <laughs> it would have had to have been February, probably. February last year, almost a whole year ago, because that's when we covered season two of The Witcher season Show. Season two. The 2022 <laughs> is gone. We're in 2023. I've discovered iced coffee. I oh. had my first iced coffee. Like a couple days ago, and now I'm hooked. Oh, now you're hooked. Okay. I'm hooked. But I do mind. The only reason I never did iced coffee before was every time you go ordering from someplace, tons of sugar, you wouldn't have to do all that. Mine right. is just coffee, milk, and then stevia. So it's just natural sugars from the milk. And I don't have, I have a sweet tooth, but I don't need it too much. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. now this is, uh, this has now become my like go-to thing. I love it. New year, new Brett. Exactly. Yeah. The hip thing in 2023, iced coffee. So yes, I'm, welcome to 1997, apparently. Yes. Love it. Love it. I'm glad you're catching up with the rest of us, Brett. So let's talk about today because you and I are here to dive into the first episode of the Witcher spinoff series, Blood Origin, which released on Christmas Day, 2022. It is a four episode miniseries, a prequel to the Witcher universe that explores a part of the universe that is not in the books or the video games or any of the extended canon. It's new lore and new Witcher goodness. Before we get into it, though, Brett, I do want to take care of some housekeeping and get some important notes out of the way. First and foremost, for our listeners, a quick spoiler warning. Today's discussion is going to be about the first episode of Blood Origin, so it will be spoiler-free in terms of that show. But a fair warning that we will be taking into account larger Witcher canon. So that includes Witcher lore from the books and the video games and the comic books, and also seasons one and seasons two of the Witcher show on Netflix, which we've talked about on this podcast. So fair warning, there may be light spoilers and speculation from the larger Witcher universe. And the last bit of housekeeping I want to shout out before we get into it is a reminder that we love to hear from our listeners. So email us at windshowlingatloreparty.com. And if you're a longtime listener, that is a slightly updated email. So once again, that's windshowlingatloreparty.com. Let us know what you think of Blood Origin, and let us know what you're most excited for, because there's a lot of Witcher goodness coming in 2023. Okay, so that takes care of housekeeping, Brett. As always, on today's episode, we're going to start with a quick summary of Blood Origin Episode 1, and then we'll dive into some key takeaways and discuss our thoughts about this episode and about the show. And then something new that we're trying this time around, we're going to wrap up our discussion today by sharing our favorite quotes and our favorite scenes from Blood Origin Episode 1. Does that sound good to you? You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Summary time. All right, so we start off in the middle of this massive battle scene between Temeria and the Scoia'tael. <laughs> it's the first time they've mentioned it. 
Yes. Uh, we all know you're a huge Scoia'tael stan. I'm glad you got this moment. Yeah, and that was something that has not been brought up in The Witcher Netflix, but it seems like the way things ended in season two of The Witcher with Philip Andrel and Francesca and them yeah. all leaving, literally killing all the babies <laughs> yeah. and doing all that. It seems like that's going to be the beginning of the Scoia'tael. So I think this is another thing that I'm going to say a lot is Blood Origin is very clearly meant to link and set up things in season three. And the Scoia'tael seems to be it right here. For sure. All right, so the elves were rescuing Yaskier. I think another late addition, if I remember that correctly. This was part of the reshoots and everything, is they brought in Yaskier, and they brought in Mini Driver's character that will bring up here this time-traveling storyteller. And Yaskier is here, and he's grown. I've grown to him, I should say, over season two. I didn't like him season one, but I've kind of grown to him, and he has... Well, this S-tier dialogue, as you said. Yes. Yeah. He, we start off the show with some truly S-tier dialogue. He's very stressed, right? He's in the middle of this battle scene. It's bloody. It's horrible. And he drops, quote, fucking, fuckity, fucking, fucking, fuck. End quote. Yeah, my intro to the show. <laughs> and yeah, this, this seems to be another thing that people are hitting on to bag on the show or whatever. Mm-hmm. So your raw thoughts on it non-snarky as opposed to the S-tier dialogue. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, the writing in this show certainly hit and miss for me. And I say hit and miss because I don't necessarily want to say bad. It's just not my style of, I I don't know, whether it's comedy or subtlety, like, saying fuckity fuck, 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 fuckity fuck, (laughs) as, like, the literally perhaps the opening dialogue of your show. Not for me. Not my style. But maybe it worked for other folks. I do think without, again, putting the cart before the horse too much, so much of this show was hit or miss mm-hmm. like that we'll talk about over the next four episodes of some stuff that I'm just like, oh, man, that's so good. And then others that I'm like, ooh, no. So that'll be another thing that we'll we'll uh, we'll eventually get to. Totally. But the rest here is Yaskier is recruited by this time traveling storyteller who she like pauses right as Yaskier is about to be killed, like cleaved skull in half, <laughs> just completely <laughs> fucking wrecked there. And she's going to tell him the story of the conjunction of the spheres. So I know you, you mentioned before about how a lot of the stuff is originally created. Obviously, the conjunction of the spheres is a massive moment in the Witcher universe mm-hmm. and as well as the creation of the first Witcher. Yeah. As a Witcher fan, I'm sold. I want to hear this story. Yeah, and it was one of those things, too, about how they were going to do it. I know that I had, like, obviously we've seen all the episodes. Right. And so I know initially when I predicted it, what I predicted is not what ends up happening. But yes, this is something here where, you know, she says, oh, the story hasn't been told before. It's not doing. I'm just like, man, that's a lot. Four episodes here. Uh, Something else we'll talk about in the takeaways, but it's a lot compressed into four episodes. See, that's the thing. When we have those takeaways at the end, it's always what you want to talk about the most. And so I'm always trying to get there. Just just jumping the gun. Yeah, you're just pulling me back. Oh, we'll get there. Oh, we'll get there. (laughs) All right. So this takes place 1,200 years ago. Now we're going back in time. This is the story as Yaskier's writing it down. On Inishdub, I think I'm saying that right, Mm -hmm. these far northern seas, the lark. This woman has come to this island to sing. And as usual, you know, someone gets their ass kicked in a tavern. And she is singing a song that we're going to hear sung and mentioned a couple of times throughout these four episodes. But she is singing 
the Black Rose. And I don't know how you felt about it. I'm curious how you felt about it. But for me, I think the song genuinely slaps. Like it very quickly wormed its way into my brain and I found myself like humming it after watching the episode. So I'm not a fan of musicals or a lot of times songs. I love scores like that. You know, the background music scores of movies, shows, stuff like that. So when I first heard this, I was like, okay, they're singing. Then I remember, oh yeah, Bear McCreary was a big part of the show, the composer. Mm -hmm. And so when I first heard it, I was like, oh, okay, song. Oh, it's an expositional song. That's cool. Lowborn rising up. They've been abused. I get it. But yes, it comes up again. They sing it multiple times. And each time it came up, I enjoyed it more. Yeah. And that is one thing about the show and the series. Totally. The music and the songs were legit S tier for me. I agree. I think the music was spot on and the songs were were catchy. Yeah. And a big thing, again, going back to like the exposition is when you've compressed the show, like what they've done, you're going to have to compress that exposition as well. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a ton of it, but something like here is where it feels most natural when it's done in a song that you would definitely hear in a world. And especially they mentioned it, there hadn't been a song there for a long time. There had been music on the island right. for a long time. So she's almost bringing this news of what is happening to these oppressed peoples, even though they are far north. Yeah, totally. It's a subtle bit of world building and storytelling, and it's done well. Way down in Zintria, not Sintra, <laughs> it's yeah. Zintria, yeah. the elven name, because again, there are no humans left. This is before, or no humans around. This is before the conjunction. We have King Alvatir and just the, <laughs> the, the, the most Scottish accent I've heard <laughs> since know. like train spotting oh, or something man. like that or yeah. Braveheart. Although these are actual like Scottish people, unlike you know, like Mel Gibson or Braveheart, right. but just so aggressive. And he's in the streets and a fight breaks out and we are introduced to the Royal Protector's dog clan and the greatest warrior, Fjall Stoneheart. Yes. Yeah. He'll be one of our heroes. Uh, and he, he proves himself here, right? Because he, he's helping fight off these warriors and he saves the princess who also kills somebody. He saves the princess who, yes, she kills. She kind of saves herself there in the alleyway. She, she kills someone that might, I guess that's to show what she may do later, <laughs> later in this episode. But he saves her, takes her back. And then we find out they are kind of an item and his reward, very video game style here. You save the princess and you get to smash. <laughs> yes. Uh, unfortunately, they're not quick enough, which I guess is it. <laughs> and he's supposed to be outside the door, like guarding. And yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. if you're going to do this, you're going to have to have somebody with you and be like, hey, post up outside. Right. Because obviously, right after this king and this royal family gets attacked in the streets, they're going to know, okay, we're going to be on high alert. So then they walk by and they're like, oh shit, there's no one guarding outside. Right. They're gonna, it's going to raise suspicions and then your dad's going to come in and catch you banging the princess. Yeah, which is a tough look. Like he got caught like mid thrust, which is real, real tough for our guy Fial. I do feel for him, but you're totally right. Like there was no game plan here. Didn't even lock the door or put something in front of the door. Hey, that's what, that's what happens when you're thinking with your pants and not with your head. <laughs> <laughs> Literally in the moment. Literally. Yeah. Uh, poor Fial. But I mean, he, he also has to then uh, face the consequences of his actions. Yes, and that is being exiled, which is always apparently in times like this worse than death. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know about you, but I know I'm not living back then, but exile me before killing me. <laughs> like, 
I'll be like, okay, yeah. here, take my axe. But yeah, he, he gets exiled. And as you as you bring up here, there's a very Lord of the Rings co- correlation here. Yeah, yeah. I, I put in our notes because I wanted to call this out. There's, It's almost flyby. Like, if you don't pay attention, you miss this. But he mentions a brother named Carrig who apparently died in some battle. And it's very obvious from this dialogue that Carrig was the favorite child of the family. <laughs> and it really reminded me, it, it seems like a very Boromir, Faramir situation. And Fial, unfortunately, is the Faramir of this family. Yeah, it's very much related to it. And maybe just because it was the holidays and the, it seems like Lord of the Rings every year becomes more of holiday yeah. type movie. And it wasn't, you know, it's, I guess there's no other way to do it, but this is another part where it's kind of clunky in the fact that they have to get this Fial introduced and on the move within, I mean, it was five minutes, I don't know, it felt like less than five minutes. It might've been more, but they had to get that in. There's a ton of just exposition here with his dad, but it ends with, he is now exiled on the loose. He had to give his axe too. Like, not only are you thrown out of the kingdom or whatever, I guess you have to scrap for yourself now. Right. Next up, Merwin, the princess, has high hopes for this future. And she's like, hey, I can, I can be a really helpful brother, the king, obviously. I can be really helpful here as an advisor and all that. Nah, 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 nah. You, you, you a woman, you getting married off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's tough. And, and she, you know, at least in front of her brother, she's just like, okay, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. Yeah, which, again, she has hesitation. And you can definitely tell that she's like, oh, fuck this noise. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And, we'll, of course, we'll see that play out later in the episode. I did also want to point out, we get a very short scene right after this where we see Chief Sage Balor, who's going to become a major character in this series, using a monolith, which we saw back in season two of the Witcher TV show, to travel to another world and speak to a mysterious floating blue ball of energy. And in this very short scene, basically, we just learned that Balor is the one who was behind the assassination attempt that we saw at the start of the episode. And he is here reporting that to the mysterious blue ball and asking for help, asking for more. All right. The girl, this Lark helped at this, when she beat up all these people in the tavern, she kind of helped this girl that was getting, or I guess you say about to be abused or something like that. Rough, roughed up, I guess. Yeah. And she's impressed by these tattoos and she knows all about the Raven clan history and this altered violin, which I could not find a name for. I assumed it was just a fake instrument. Yeah, if it is or it's something Bear McCreary <laughs> might have created. <laughs> but I literally Googled altered uh, violin, blood origin violin, Ayla instrument, Lark and all this. And I'm like, okay, I can't find it. I'm just going to call it an altered violin. Fair. And this girl is Ithlian, she ha- which is a name you definitely will remember. From, yeah. If you know anything about the witch from anything, it's been mentioned in games, books, whatever. It's tightly connected to Siri. She has fits, visions, and sickness. Mm. Yeah. And we'll see that very shortly as well. I also wanted to note that in this scene, we get a little backstory for the Lark. We learned that the Lark used to be a warrior in this Raven clan, but instead fell in love with music and chose this life of a traveling bard. Yes, and this was a warring clan with Fial. So even though they're about to be introduced, they definitely have that set up to where these two are kind of on opposite ends there, where they have both now fallen out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's become a bard. 
But yes, she is thrown into a jail cell, cell, a jail cell <laughs> with Fial. And I, I, I love Fial. I love his accent. I love his portrayal. Yeah. I love A-list too. Like both of these two to me are the highlight of the episode, which is good because they're the two main characters. And they finally get to meet her. They play well off of each other. And whenever they're on screen doing their thing, I'm enjoying the show. For sure. This will come up again in my favorite quote at the end of today's episode. But this banter that they have back and forth, it's very, very good. I couldn't agree more. I really liked both of these two characters. And I especially liked it when they were on screen together. They reminisce about days past, you know, how they got there. Again, it's another point where we have to understand, you know, kind of what they are. We don't know how Fial got all the way the hell up here, but I don't think it matters. He got exiled, whether he got exiled a week before, a month before, doesn't matter. He's just kind of on his own now with really no purpose. Yeah. And there's a, I think there's a bit of timeline fudging going on throughout this episode, but also throughout the whole series because of some of the events that we take place. Like, you imagine it has to take time. It's not going to be days apart. It's going to be weeks, maybe even months apart. So time is a little loose, loosey-goosey. Which, hey, there's nothing more witcher than loosey-goosey timeline. <laughs> so that's yeah. one thing. That is one thing I don't want people to complain about. Oh, it's not like the books. Look, a fucked up timeline and fudgy lore is Sapkowski to a T. So yes, I don't want to hear nothing about all that. <laughs> All right, back in Zinthria, another familiar name, if you've played the games or read the books, not the Witcher show yet, Captain Eredin is aghast that this king wants to end this thousand-year war with Prishia and Darwin, and he defers to Balor, who I, this dude may be a one-note, like, evil character, but again, Lenny Henry, I believe is his name. Okay. And I just I just love when he's on screen. I love him talking. He seems like he has no time for anybody. It's like, <laughs> look, I'm the bad guy. Just I'm just yeah. gonna bad guy everything up. But here they ask him about it and he's like, Oh, don't ask me. I'm just here to advise. I have no power anymore. It's like, oh you hold a grudge much? Yeah. And again, there there's some reading between the lines happening here. Like it seems like King Alvatir has come in and ruffled a couple of feathers. Like he clearly demoted Chief Balor. And he's obviously not getting on Captain Aridin's good side here. Yeah. And they mentioned a little bit later on that the generals, they just want war. And I think we don't need to think too much into it. It's yeah. their, their military. They want to fight. Generals always want to go to war. They always want glory. Yeah, I think you're right. Like I, I did watch this scene and I was a bit confused why Aridin is so pissed. Like why wouldn't he want peace and why wouldn't he want to end this thousand year war? But I think you're right. We're perhaps not supposed to think too deeply about it. And he is a military commander. He is the high commander of the army here in Zentria. And war is his job. Yeah. But I think the main thing we get out of it is the generals, they don't want peace. They want to go to war. And it's going to be the reasoning for things to happen. Yes, indeed. And right after this, we do get another very short scene where Fial's cousin finds him. He's the one that busted him out of jail. And his cousin tells him, hey, Fial, buddy, your father has requested that you return to Zintria because there are peace talks happening and you need to come back for it. And Fial basically says no 
tell my dad to fuck off. I'm not interested <laughs> in coming back. I'm interested in going to that brothel right over there. And and that's where he goes. So clearly he too can hold quite the grudge. We don't know how much time has passed, but he is not interested in mending things with his father and with his clan yet. And it's at this brothel where Fial tries to pay with the pendant around his neck and notices that it's missing. Yeah. Did you catch that when you were watching it, that she grabbed, that he was missing the pendant? I didn't catch it, no. Okay. I mean, obviously I was looking for it on my rewatch when I was scripting yeah. for today's conversation, but I did not catch it the first time. When I first watched it, I didn't catch her actually doing it. It's just when it, when the camera held on her at the end, she gave a look and I was like, oh, what the fuck did she do? And I rewound it and you could see that it's there. Oh, it's not there. And I'm like, okay, she did catch it. Yeah, it kind of hung. And I was like, whoa, she sure seems to be happy there that, <laughs> that he's leaving. Yeah. But yeah, he notices the pendant is missing and it's the brothel. He's so happy to be there. Not a care in the world. And yeah, the guy's like, no, you don't have any money. Like, fuck <laughs> off. He's like, my word is gold. My word is my bond or something like that. He's like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, yeah. There's no IOUs out here at this brothel at the end of the world. So funny. Uh, so the lark uses Fial's pendant, picks the lock, leaves, and when she hears the altered violin being played, she's like, oh, it must be Ithleen. Who was talking about? Oh, no, it's her sister. Hello. And by coincidence, she also has a family member coming to say, hey, there's going to be this big peace treaty. We need you as well. Yes. And I do want to call out here that Sophia Brown is the person that plays the lark slash Ayla. And I think especially in this scene, she does a really, really excellent job because there's a lot of reading between the lines again. There's a lot of subtext here. On the surface, the sister is asking for her to come back. But we realize that there's some deeper family dynamics and we see how difficult it has been for the lark to live this life of exile, to go against what her clan taught her to be a warrior and instead choose this life as a roving bard. So all of that is sort of compressed into the scene and compressed into the acting that Sophia Brown does. So I wanted to shout that out. Well done. Yeah, and there's obviously a reason why this greatest warrior of the clan has sworn it off and become a bard. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Traveling, which she obviously still has her warrior skills as she showed throwing those knives and those well-placed shots into the legs of those, <laughs> right, those people. Right above the knees. That's going to yeah, hurt so Yeah, bad. as you were doing that, I was like, oh, man, like, I, that's a good way to stop somebody. Like, as long as you don't hit whatever artery is big in the leg. I don't know. Right. And Ithlian comes in, and she's upset that the lark is leaving. And then she has a vision, and we have a prophecy. The time of the spheres is upon us. World will eat world. Emerald skies, fire will summon a new dawn. A great beast born shall be slain by your blade. Two apart shall become two as one. The lark's most precious notes shall be the key to all things. And a quest in the name of your clan will bring you redemption. Wow. What a prophecy. Some of that we can already see playing out in motion in this episode. But some of that is presumably things to come. Yes, it would be. And when I know when I when I first watched this and I recorded on the path, I actually gave some guesses of what I thought it may be. Yeah. Now that I know the answers, I won't comment on it because <laughs> I, can't, I can't guess and do it because I know some podcasts, I've listened to some podcasts before that they will have seen all the episodes. Like it'll be a rewatch of something and then they'll go back through an episode and, and they'll like predict 
knowing what happened and they'll like fake predict. I'm like, why are you doing that? You know what happened? Yeah, like, yeah. No, yeah, we're definitely not going to do that here. We've seen all four. We're not going to talk about anything beyond one today, but no pretending. We know what this prophecy means. But <laughs> Yes, like if I if I was to be like, oh man, I think it's this, I think it's this. First question everybody should have is, wait, you just said you watched the whole series. Why are you? But yes, a big thing is, and to me what stood out the most is, Ithian's visions always come true. That seems like that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, who is this little girl who's like working in this bar? As like a barmaid or something. Yeah. Whose visions always come true. Like that's, that seems like a big deal. But yeah, her, the Lark takes Ithlian to her mother basically. And it's like, hey, she got sick again. She had one of her episodes. Is all of that true? And her mother's like, yeah, it always comes true. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, people are afraid of me. They call me free. I'm like, you should be worshipped. Yeah. Or just set out to see and be like, No. So something's got to happen. If somebody literally just, oh yeah, all my predictions come true. Like a sports better. You're like, oh man, I'm like 87 for 87 betting games. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, you fucking freak. I fucking hate you. No, I'm be like, yo, yo, what's, what's going right. to happen? You're oh, like, tell me. Talk to me about game 88, you know? Like, yeah, what's up? Just anything like that to do. So I know it's a different world and it's not 2023 and all that fun right, stuff. Right, right. But just when something like that happens, I'm thinking, nah, this, you should not just be here in this tavern getting roughed up by these douchebags. Yeah. <laughs> They're drunken people listening to music. I agree. I, I had the same exact thought too, where I was like, they always come true. <laughs> like, wait a second. But at least in the moment, this is enough to convince the Lark that she needs to like go on this quest. Like the last line of that really sticks with her. A quest in the name of your clan will bring you redemption. And the Lark is like, okay, time for a redemption quest. Let's go. Yeah. And whatever motivation she needed comes immediately because as they're walking out <laughs> assassins attack and they kill her sister and fial kind of somewhat saves her at the end he didn't like save her she killed like a dozen people before then yeah, yeah but fial yeah. saves her we find out that these assassins were from each kingdom and they piece together that the armies are making a move against the monarchies to keep this war going mm-hmm. it was a good scene i, I think we'll talk about this in all the episodes, but I think the fight choreography and the way it's shot and edited is well done. Like it's all very intense. It's very clear what's going on. There's none of that fucking shaky cam nonsense that makes it hard to follow. And I think this was an example of that. One of the first examples of the good fight choreography in this show. Yeah. I thought it was great also because there's no, I mean, there might be very little CGI. I'm not going to say I have a keen eye for that, but they're not fighting monsters here. There's nothing, there's no green screen, blue screen, nothing in the immediate, you know, forefront of what it is. And yes, I could pay attention to what was going on. I could tell what was going on. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't shaky cam. It wasn't a cut every 0.7 seconds. Like you could see what was happening. It, I adored like this fight scene here. I thought it was great. Yeah, me too. All right. So they agree to link up Fial and the Lark, but no, no, no. The Lark is dead and it's Ayla. That's right. And now their quest, I was going to say the fellowship has started. <laughs> the fellowship, <laughs> the Hansa. This is the OG Hansa from. That's right. If we, that's right. If we're, if we're, okay, I might have almost spoiled something there. All right. So we go back <laughs> to Zinthria, and this peace treaty is to be signed, and everybody's there. And during Alvatir's speech, not Altavir, Alvatir. I keep wanting to say Altavir. <laughs> Baylor just bounces like right in the middle. Uh-huh. And then 
Eridin leaves and Merwin's like, oh, my stomach. And she gets permission to leave. And I was kind of surprised when Merwin just like slits that throat real quick. Cause I figured, okay, Baylor, obviously, unless this is the first show you've ever watched, it was very clear. Baylor and Eridin were going to betray the king. They were going to kill him, blah, blah, blah. Totally. But Merwin just slitting that throat right there did kind of take me a little bit by surprise. It did for me too. Like I genuinely, for a second, you know, my first thought was, oh, she's sick because Baylor and Aridin have poisoned the princess done as well. something to her, yeah. Yeah, that was my first thought. So I think that was a very well done sort of red flag diversion, right? Like, uh-oh, she's also going to die here. And then it immediately cuts to her slitting the guard's throat. Ugh. And then you're like, oh, fuck. I've been, I've been tricked. Like Merwin is totally in on this too. Yeah. And the coup is on as this great beast attacks and turns everyone into a red mist <laughs> and a thousand years of monarchies, kingdoms and clan Brutal. erased. The golden empire reigns with Merwin as empress. What did you think of this great beast? I thought it was ominous and dangerous and realistic in the sense that like, no one knew what to do, you know, like yeah. everyone just got wiped. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like this is a monster from literally out of this world. And of course, like no one is going to know what to do. Like they all get their swords out and someone actually tries to shoot an arrow that totally bounces off of the dragon creature. And uh, I, I liked that there was some shock and awe here. It was appropriate. Yeah, they needed that special arrow that the bard in Lake Town had for smog. <laughs> yes, they, like, come yeah. on, dude. Exactly. Come on, what do exactly. you <laughs> But in the immediate aftermath, Merwin is out there addressing her subjects now. She loves it. Big smile on her face. Oh, I'm going to bring all this stuff back. And Baylor and Aridin are already just like, all right, when we get rid of this bitch right here. <laughs> Those <laughs> like, she's already She is already in the way. When are, when are we going to do it? <laughs> right, right. And obviously, she's just a puppet for them. Like, they're just doing this. So they can get closer to their own goals. They need to put someone forward. And she happens to be that convenient someone. Yeah. And Baylor or Balor, I keep saying Baylor, not Baylor the Blessed. Balor, <laughs> I get, you know, he, like I said, he, he's one note, but I get what he is. He's a bad dude. He wants power, blah, blah, blah. Merwin, I'm like, okay, Merwin, I don't know exactly. So I'll say of all the characters, even towards the end, she's the one that I'm like, man. She's got to be the most nuanced without question. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to very briefly mention that there is a reference here where Merwin talks about Solrith's eyes and then the camera cuts to the sky. She's like looking out a window and cuts to the sky. And presumably she's talking about these two comets that appear to be crossing the sky in these episodes. We'll see this a couple of times throughout the whole series. And we learned that these two comets last appeared all the way back when this continent was first found, when Solrith landed on this continent and founded the elven nation of Zintri or whatever their history here is. Uh, so that's, that's a little detail I wanted to call out as well. Yeah, good catch. And not only in fantasy, but in real life history, the viewing of comets or the arrival of comets, comets of comets <laughs> are always used as something to say, yo, something great is about to happen. This justifies my rule or, oh, this is a sign that something horrible is about to happen and we need to do something throughout it. So yes, the use of comets is, is very good to use. Yeah. They're, they always mean they're an omen, right? They're always yeah. mean something is about to happen. Something big. 
But at, <laughs> at Gaelf, former Prussia, this port city is bustling with all this exposition. <laughs> and if, and again, I know, I know that they had to do this. It's fine. There's so much they had to do. Um, I don't know what all was reshot. I don't know if this was a reshot scene or not, but this screams as, yo, we've had to cut out some scenes. We need to catch so many people up right now. We need to catch the two main characters up on everything that's happened. And we need to do it in like 30 seconds <laughs> because as they sit down saying, hey, we need, to, we need to talk to some people and see what happens. Like as soon as they sit down, this table next to them just completely obliges saying every single thing that we have seen in the first 30 to 40 minutes of this show. And a quick line that you might miss here in this exposition city exposition scene is the narrator also tells us at one point that the skies and the seas of the continent have been changing so that again is a very quick flyby piece of exposition that you might miss because we don't necessarily even see it like the skies just seem normal it's raining a little bit i guess but things are clearly changing on the continent the weather is different the seas are different and we learn more about that in later episodes Yep, and everybody's noticing it. And largely the person behind it, Balor, has now invoked slave labor. Oof. And they are putting up monoliths. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, they're placing what appears to be a giant monolith, like, right in the middle of the palace courtyard. <laughs> so, like, dead center. Yep, they're putting it right in there. And we do get, <laughs> there's a little bit of... Not infighting, if you will. Not, maybe disagreement. I don't know. It's a discussion between Aridin and Balor about the slow building of these monoliths because apparently a lot of people did not want to stay in the army and serve this new empire, which doesn't really surprise me, but I guess it surprises Aridin. Right, right. Go figure. And it turns out Balor purged the mages as well. So clearly there were some mages that worked for the empire. And if they weren't loyal to Balor or didn't want to follow his plan, they got kicked out. They got to go. And we're, we're, it's, it's another thing, too, that we have. We, the show is jumping around a lot as well, and it requires our kind of recap <laughs> to jump around yeah. as well. Because we go right back to Fial, and he talks about Sindril. This mage in Zintria had a dwarven monolith. Is this the first time that we've heard that these monoliths were dwarven? I think so, because th this stood out to me as well. Yeah, and this, these are dwarven monoliths that I'm guessing they have re-earthed. And put up. And these mages obviously have used these to open this gateway between worlds. And here comes a big thing of Brett's pet uh -huh. peeves when uh -huh. it's a blood oath. Okay. <laughs> when it is a blood oath, and anybody who has ever heard me on any podcast or anything talk about it, slicing your palm with a blade is a good way to not be able to hold a sword for a couple <laughs> weeks or to a month. So when right. they started doing it, as Fial and Ayla are talking about how can we trust each other, they pull out the, the blade, and I'm like, oh, fuck, don't do it. Don't you fucking do it. Don't do it. And they didn't do it, but they sliced their wrists. Ow. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh. When they went to the wrist, I was like, oh, okay. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Iffy. Iffy. Iffy indeed. I feel like, you know, I don't know if elves pinky promise, but there's like, there's got to be a better way than like, perhaps her, like harming the sword arm that you need to battle with. <laughs> Use the tip of whatever fucking blades that y'all have. Yeah. Do it on one of your fingers. You can do it. Don't, you've got to do it on the pointer one. 
do it on that? I'm, we've all done, hell, just bite your fucking nails like I do. And eventually a cuticle will start bleeding. And guess what I can still do? Hold a bat, hold some things. Yeah. Like just do that. So I appreciate that it wasn't on the palm, but to go straight to the <laughs> wrist, I, you just saw me right. going, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, definitely different, but perhaps not better in that situation. I also want to call out, this is about the point in the episode, the first time I watched it, where, and for what it's worth, I enjoyed all of episode one quite a bit. Like uh, the characters were good. The coup was really intense. And I thought they were setting up some really great stuff here. One thing that I didn't like, however, was just how seemingly quick Fial and Ayla are piecing together the puzzle. They're like really connecting all the dots perfectly They've like figured out on their own how this coup happened or why it happened or who was behind it. And I'm just like, how aren't they exiled? Like, how are they getting this information that should seemingly be like state secrets, right? Like, Aradin and Balor aren't like walking around telling people they did this. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I guess what you can say is, I guess what you can say is by the information they got from those, and I'm just going to call them NPCs, the background characters. From the information they got from there, they could then, especially Fjall, would use his knowledge of knowing Balor and knowing Aradin to yeah. just likely piece it together. We only really have his background. We don't have Ayla's, like where she was before. Like, we never go there. We're only in Zintria. And yes, you, it could be stated they do piece it together very, very quickly. But hey, we, we don't got time to fuck around here. They got to figure <laughs> this shit out. They got to get going. And a yeah. big thing, what I do, especially with the show, especially when I found it was only four episodes, mm -hmm. was throw me in that fucking world, keep it moving, and keep it entertaining. And so right here, I would rather them just sit down, piece this shit together like two Sherlock Holmes. Right. And then, and then, and then just get moving with it. Like they got to get moving to the next thing. And, you know, like I said, the way I can see it is they're using their knowledge of the previous characters. To kind of put it together. I also can buy that they would team up because they don't have anybody else. Yeah, totally. And I, I guess you make a fair point that they are exiles, sure, but Fial was like an insider, right? Like he was literally yeah. the banging the, banging the princess, you know? Like he was really in that inner circle. So he, yeah, he would have been in those known. meetings. Exactly. Yeah. And, so and th that's a good that. point. That's a good point. Merwin speaks of civilizing art culture, and I'm just getting full on Nilfgaard vibes here. The Ugh. gold, everything about it, it's <laughs> uniting here. We all know, well, I should say we all know. And again, we're talking about games and book spoilers and all that. The Nilfgaardians are much closer to an elven heritage. And well, obviously the humans don't have it, but the Nilfgaardians are this kind of eventually this human and elvish mix where the humans are obviously just human and like Nilfgaardian goes back to this mixture of this old elven speech so just mm -hmm. seeing all this here i just, it just screamed Nilfgaard to me yeah i think my immediate reaction to this scene where merwin talks about like bringing civilization to other worlds is just <laughs> red flag red flag <laughs> <laughs> just major red flag right i was yes. like oh no you know because i think you're Absolutely correct. Earlier in the episode, you said that Aradin, Balor, you know, seem like pretty cookie cutter villains, but Merwin's motivations are really interesting. Like, why would she be doing this? What does she want? And I couldn't agree more. Like, Merwin, to me, in this first episode was 
the most interesting character. She's the one I wanted to learn more about. And when she said this, I was like, oh no. <laughs> like huge red flags. And yeah, I don't know. I, I also like don't truly understand that motivation, at least not yet in this first episode, right? Like I'm just, is this all she wants? Is there another motive for opening up these other worlds and going into them and... So one thing, the main thing that Merwin talks about being motivated by is this restoration of this old, you know, this old queen and these old leaders that she's going to do again. Yeah. But yes, the the wanting to civilize new worlds, one is ex exactly the fucking thing Nilfgaard would eventually say. It's a, it's a Roman Empire thing where they're like, yeah, we're killing all these people. We're taking them over, but they're barbarians and we're bringing them civilization. It's civilization at the point of a sword and they don't really care about them. It's just more or less, hey, pay us tribute. Give us these goods. Give us these people. Aren't you glad you're civilized? So yes, when she says that, <laughs> that's as soon as I heard that, oh yeah, my my the historian in me just raised like, oh shit, that is not yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It, there are some very clear parallels to both like Witcher lore universe with Nilfgaard, but also like real history as well. I also wanted to call out that this is the scene where we realize that Merwin is smarter than she may appear or at least that we may assume because she's not completely oblivious to this scheming that Aradin and Balor have been doing she's actually fully aware of it and <laughs> knows that she is just a pawn in their plans and she plans to outmaneuver them right she's going to figure out how to play their game and beat them at it yeah, it's kind of the same thing where she wanted to help with her brother and her brother was like, nah, nah, oh, look at you, little girl. Nah, you go do this. Same thing here. She talks about stuff she wants to do, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, nah, we, we got it. You're fine. So again, her uh, red flag go up. And she's like, oh, shit, isn't this what happened last time when someone wanted to use me? I'm not going to do it. So yeah, I, I fucking loved her character yeah. that... Of all the things, like it's the one thing about being so boom, 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 is you don't get the characters fleshed out. I thought hers was great. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Merwin was definitely a standout character. Balor visits Sindral, the previously mentioned by Fjall, in his cell. So he was part of these mage purges, but he wasn't killed. He gets the luxury of being in a cell, Dimeridium, line shell, because you have to do that to mages. And says to ready the master monolith, yay, good job. Like, you've, you've done it, Syndral. Look what you've done. Yeah. Uh, stay, stay in prison, though. Right, right. We're not letting you out. <laughs> All right, so next up, Fjall and Ayla seek out Ayla's former sword master. Mm -hmm. And this is Michelle Yeoh. Seeing her here as Skian, she just fucking commands the goddamn screen. Yeah, totally. I'm getting massive... Jedi Master, my uh, vibes here, as she says they fight with too much emotion. She completely, she completely controls them. She winds them up perfectly yeah. to fight them at the same time and without a sword, just with her scabbard there. And then that's it. Like she now has become part of it. Right. She joins up with them. And I, I think it's worth noting she is the last of a tribe as well. And these three heroes that team up by the end of this episode are all presumably the last of their tribes because the dog clan got wiped out by the beast. The Raven clan got wiped out by the beast and the ghost clan, as we learn in this final scene was historically wiped out by dog clans of previous generations. So these three are really like the last of their kind. Yeah. And she just wants her ancestral sword back because Fial has seen it. He's hanging in their trophy case, which is I know. 
very high school athletics, college athletics. So they, they have a trophy case in their throne room. Nice, nice. Right, right. Y'all's basketball trophies are in there too. Yeah, he wants in there. those back. <laughs> he wants to go. He wants to go get his Letterman jacket. <laughs> they didn't let him have it. Yeah, and that's episode one. That's the first episode of Blood Origin. Let's now take a quick break, Brett. But dear listener, don't go anywhere. Because when we come back, we're going to chat about our takeaways from this first episode and then share our favorite quotes and favorite scenes. So we'll see you in a bit. Welcome back, everyone. Let's now talk about some of our takeaways from this first episode. For me, I think like my reaction to this episode was generally positive. The things I took away, though, are that First of all, the pacing, we've sort of brought this up already, but the pacing is like breakneck. It's go, 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 go. We don't have time to dilly-dally. Only four episodes compress everything into four. And then the other thing that I kind of felt after watching this first episode was a little more elusive, just sort of this lack of witcherness. The show didn't like feel like The Witcher. And I know that's so subjective and like that's such a like, hard thing to like defend but let's talk about the pacing first and then we'll talk about the feel of this show i'm curious what you think because for me everything felt a little too fast-paced like everything felt like we were brushing past world building and character motivations or like we were saying one or two lines about it and checking a box and being like great motivation done moving on we need to get back to the action it's well known that this show was originally slated for six episodes. And at some point in the production process, it was cut down to four. And for me, that that's painfully obvious in this first episode. The way this episode plays out, it's so fast. And we jump from scene to scene to scene. We jump from one piece of exposition to another massive piece of exposition in like minutes, right? Like things that would take other shows perhaps whole episodes or like whole arcs of an episode to accomplish we're doing in like five minutes you know go 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 and this felt like the show trimmed so much of the fat that there was nothing left to savor on the bone and what's left on screen like what's left in this first episode is basically exactly what you need to know to understand the story and to get to the next plot point and not an inch more than that I wish it would have either been six episodes yeah. or a two to two and a half hour movie. And I've, I've gone this whole time without mentioning it because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to bring it up a lot. And it'll be <laughs> with everything about this. Rogue One. What did you think of Rogue One? I'm a big Rogue One fan. Okay. I love Rogue One. Okay. Well, then good because it's my favorite thing that Star Wars did. The main reason because it was the least Star Wars of the movies because... There were no fucking space wizards. There was no actual mention of the force, if you will. There was illusion with Donnie Yen's character. I don't remember his name. There was no fucking laser swords. There was no skywalk. There was none of this bullshit that I've come to hate with fucking Star Wars just because it's all that that's about. It's massive universe. You know, all the lore, all the creations of Star Wars and somehow the movies all revolve around one fucking family. (laughs) Goddamn Skywalkers. All the way to the (laughs) last. Anyway. Right, Tell us I'll, how you really feel. I'll okay. come back out of that. <laughs> so with this, 
I was fine with it because it was like Rogue One. Rogue One, people that don't like it, it's always the same thing that I hear from them. They didn't care for the characters. It was too quick. It was too fast paced. The same stuff that people say here. So I don't mm-hmm. think it's a problem with doing it. I think the argument would be is if you thought it was well done or not. And that I can understand. And so with this, I was okay with it because it hit the ground running and it was a breakneck pace, yeah. but it never stopped. It went all the way. They didn't slam it down for like eight to 10 minutes of this roughly hour. I think it was a little over an hour with credits. So like really room to hit the brakes and stop and talk and talk and talk. Now, I do think an issue may be you've set this pace, you have to keep it up and then somehow pull it in all in four episodes. And that to me is the thing where cut, like you said, if you're going to cut the fat off, cut it all the way down to a two, two and a half hour movie, make it like Rogue One. Or if you want to have all these characters and you want to have this expanded lore and you want to introduce Aridin and the conjunction, all this stuff in there, then you have to go to six episodes. And I think if I remember this correctly, that it was the showrunner of The Witcher and the executive producer of this, uh, Lauren Hestrick, I believe they said, and I'm, I don't know how much of it was Declan DeBar, the showrunner of this or not, decision or whatever, to cut it down to four episodes because they felt it was too slow. And so when you do something like that, that to me says that they did not have faith. They did not have faith in it. I wish they would have trusted it more because there may be a cut of this that's six hours. It may be better. Honest to God, it may have been a fucking disaster. And they may have saved it by going to four. I yeah, don't know. We don't know. But it's this middle spot right here. It's a half measure. And I think they took a half measure with doing it. And you can start to see where it is so fast paced that certain things can easily come apart. That's a really excellent point. First of all, I completely agree. I wish we had committed to six episodes. I think for me, the pacing certainly felt like I wasn't getting to know these characters enough and I wasn't learning enough about this world. I was being told things about this world, but only the things that I needed to know so that the next scene would make sense and the next scene would make sense and the next scene would make sense. Yeah, it's very much laying the track in front of you yeah. kind of as going along. That's a great metaphor for it. Uh, that, that's exactly how I felt. And, and that sort of like on rails way of storytelling, I think works because it's consistently fast paced and the tr- next track is always being laid right when you need it to. So the train keeps moving, but I'm the kind of person that wants to look out the train window and like see the mountain range and like enjoy the view and get to know the conductor. And it's a lot of plot, 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 plot. Now, speaking of world building and Witcher, the other point I wanted to chat with you about is my feeling that this first episode, at least, didn't feel like The Witcher to me. And I do want to caveat that by saying that's not necessarily bad. Like, I'm not saying, oh, this first episode was bad because it was not The Witcher. I think it stood well enough on its own. I just don't think it captured completely the vibe of even the TV show. And I think it especially didn't capture the vibe of the books or the games. What it felt to me more like was just more generic fantasy We've all seen fantasy worlds where there are elves and dwarves and warring kingdoms and evil mages and coups taking place. All of that was fine enough on its own, but none of it, I was like, okay, but none of this is like Witcher. Uh, I I think a criticism I've especially seen online a lot is 
this criticism of the elves not being distinct enough. Like they're just people with pointy ears. Yeah. And I, I completely understand that. Like I, I still really like these characters we've met in this first episode, but I do wish that their culture was a little something about it was more unique. Like something about the world building felt different or felt more grounded in the Witcher universe. It's funny, I actually hadn't heard that that criticism there, but you're right. Like for a minute there, I kind of had to catch myself and say, like these aren't they're all elves, right? They're right. not humans. They're like they all are all elves. elves. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is before the conjunction. And they did keep that part that humans don't appear until the conjunction. So right. that one hundred percent I agree with. They definitely do seem like people <laughs> with pointy ears, <laughs> which made me laugh. And like, like you talked about there, the feel of the Witcher. And I'm glad you mentioned that it's not necessarily bad or whatever, but this feels like the Netflix Witcher. Like it, it does. Like I feel like I'm watching the Netflix Witcher, which makes sense because from all accounts, it seemed like the showrunner here, Declan DeBara, was like the right-hand man of Lauren Hesterick, the showrunner of the Witcher. It just, it just seemed that way. He wrote the premiere of season two, the Novellan episode, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it just seems like if he's getting that, you know, whoever gets to write the premiere, if it's not the showrunner, is someone super trusted by them. And it, going back to Rogue One, because I'm going to talk about it as much <laughs> as I can, Rogue One did not feel like Star Wars. It was told a completely different story than what we had, a completely different viewpoint. It and myself and the characters there did not give a fuck about the Jedi. They did not give a shit about this hierarchy and all this quasi-religious bullshit and all this other stuff, they were fucking in a war. And they were getting shot by the stormtroopers, and they were the ones getting blown up and imprisoned by them. Not this high and mighty Jedi council that can sit in their fucking ivory towers and talk (laughs) about, well, there needs to be balance here. Well, bad shit needs to happen for the good shit. That's what I loved about it. And it was gritty. And this is not Rogue One of the Witcher world. No. What I wanted was Rogue One. And when they announced that it was going to be these, it was going to be like a group, a fellowship, if you will, going out, having to do something, I got super Rogue One vibes from it. And it's what I wanted. And I wanted boots on the ground type of people. We didn't get that. We got special people. We got people who are the last of their clan. They're super warriors. They're the biggest badasses. And they're advisors to the king. And that's fine. That's what it is. But I want the fucking boots on the ground there. I wish these, and I'm not going to hate on this for something it is instead of something of what I wanted. Right. But I wanted something like that. Show me fucking criminals. Put nobodies in there. Because normal people can exist in these worlds and do something. Yes. But like I said, for better or worse, this feels like the Netflix Witcher for me. And it's also 1,200 years before like, it should feel like a distinctly different world because that's a huge knock on medieval fantasy in general, especially like Game of Thrones. How Game of Thrones has this hundreds of years before, it's the same technologies. And it's like, okay, I know it's fantasy and that's why I can stay off of it. But right, contrary to right. popular belief, people seem to think like, oh, the Middle Ages was all the fucking same because they were using like swords and armor. But it's like, no, a soldier from 1100 and a soldier from 1200, completely fucking different. Yeah. There's massive technological advancements, despite the fact that they're still using swords, spears, and armor. That's a great point. I love that you always bring that historical perspective, because we have to remember the time span. 1,200 years is a long-ass time before the world of Geralt of Rivia, before we see the world that he inhabits. 
So I guess it makes sense that things are are different. I I just wish I just wish parts of it felt more witchery. And I you know I know I, you, keep, I keep saying that. What do you exactly yeah. mean by it though? I think I guess what I mean by that is tone. I think the tone of this world and the people, the places didn't quite match up with what I had seen in season one and season two. But I would be saying this should not feel like The Witcher because it's before the conjunction. I would argue it needs to feel more different Mm. than it. Like you said, this should be fucking just elves. So I would say that maybe things being distinct differently. I did enjoy that the armor, the armor seemed different. It didn't seem high medieval, like, uh, or I should say late medieval, like much of what the Netflix Witcher is. So... The outfits are cool too. <laughs> that I love that point, Brett. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. Is like maybe, again, maybe it, this feels like a half measure is what I'm trying to get at. Like maybe it just, if it was even more different than the 1200 year time span, would have felt more impactful. Yeah. Um, but, you know, deep down in my heart of hearts, I just want that scrotum armor back. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, play The Witcher 3. You can have it on now. <laughs> right. Thanks for the new update. <laughs> all right. Well, those are our takeaways. Let's wrap up today's episode by quickly sharing our favorite quote from episode one and our favorite scene of episode one. So let's start with favorite scene. And Brett, I'll let you start first this time. What was your favorite scene from this episode? Uh, it was, I said it before, generally the scenes with Ayla and Fial, when it was them two, they worked well off each other, good chemistry. When they're in that town far north, in Ishdub or whatever. It's a really boots on the ground feel. I know they're nobility and they're special, but it's nice to see the other people around them interacting with them. Yeah. For me, my favorite scene, I mentioned it earlier in the summary as well, but it's the the scene where the coup happens, where the monster attacks. And what I liked is genuinely how many times in such a short span I was surprised. <laughs> like the first surprise we talked about in the summary section was Merwin's betrayal and how she's in on it. And then the second surprise is this monster showing up and just just wiping people. Like characters I thought would have a bigger role or I assumed were being set up for a larger role in this story. Just puff of smoke, puff of red smoke and they're gone. Fial's dad, King Alvatir, the literal like nobility and leadership of the Prishian and Darwin empires, like gone in a blink of an eye. So I think just for the shock factor alone, I really liked this scene. It was dramatic and surprising, and it was fun to see this conspiracy play out in front of us in such such intense fashion. All right, what about your favorite quote? What was your favorite line from today's episode? All right, mine came from Balor. Faced with chaos, the people will always choose order no matter the cost. And I think that is perfect for this world. It's perfect for the real world as no matter what people will always defer to the status quo. You know, they will suffer injustices of their own group and especially other groups if it means that they're still okay and nothing too big happens. So I thought that was a prescient and perfect quote. It makes sense to me why that stood out to you because you're all about taking down the bourgeoisie. So I, I, yeah. can, <laughs> I can understand why. And so I, I went really, you know, deep with something real world and thoughtful with mine. What was yours? <laughs> is it just um, as deep? It is. I, I, I guarantee it is. My favorite quote was when Ayla says, quote, 
protect, not fuck, clan basics. And then follows it up by saying, quote, too long a phrase for dog clan cock, end quote. <laughs> yeah, and that's when Fial says he should have gotten it tattooed. <laughs> right, right. In, in response to Fial saying, oh, well, I should have gotten that tattooed. And she was like, nope, too long for your cock, buddy. It's, again, we talked about the fuck, 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 fuckity fuck writing earlier in the episode. This is definitely uh, a little crass and, you know, a bit clunky. And I think that could, at least for me, like, that's my take on the writing in this whole episode and this whole series is a bit clunky, a bit crass. But I will admit, this one tickled the funny bone for me and got a laugh out of me. The delivery was spot on. Just the tone of voice, the way she said it. And then that little smirk when the camera cuts to her and she says it was just the cherry on top of this quote. And again, the Ayla, Fial, their interactions are always so electric. They have good on, on-screen chemistry. This quote was an, an example of that for me. So I, I think it. I still have dick joke PTSD from the last <laughs> several seasons of Game of Thrones with Tyrion and Varys. <laughs> So I think I still need a few more years yeah. to really appreciate this right here. Well, I, for one, cannot wait to hear the dick joke that will break that spell for you and finally get you, you know? <laughs> That's a good, yeah, no kidding. Maybe that should be the, the goal. Someone tell me a dick joke that'll make me be like, oh, 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 oh. it'll tickle me. Windsowling at loreparty.com oh, is yeah. the oh. place to set those. <laughs> well, you just open that up. <laughs> Well, Brett, podcasts are podcasts. Lesser, greater, middling, they're all the same. But we've completed our contract and it's time to collect our reward. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the path.